Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is Russell Tovey. And Robert Diamond. And we are here with Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. Episode two, we're back. So episode one went out and uh, we were thrilled with the reaction from all you guys. And so this is episode two, continuing our conversations about our friendship and art and the world we both live in. And today we have a very special guest. We do. So our guest is someone that has inspired both me and Russell for pretty much the whole time since we got into art. And our guest is Nat sit snugly between myself and Robert, <laughs> penned in with no escape. Um, this guest of ours has been uh, not only a massive influence to us, but a humongous massive influence to the art world in general, and the world as a whole. Uh, <laughs> his uh, his um, ability to create work, his influence on so many artists, and his gift as a teacher of many, many, many influential, important artists is something that will be the most important thing ever. Um, ever. Ever. <laughs> we are so pleasured to have... This man here today, he was made a CBE in 2016. 20... No. Oh, no, sorry, 20... 2008, 2005. 2002. <laughs> he's a CBE, and then he got knighted in, knighted 2016, in 2016. And he's also a royal academician. Acad- academician. I love this one, because yeah. Russell was like abracadabra. He couldn't, he couldn't say the word academician. But he's got lots and lots of letters after his name. We are thrilled to introduce Sir... Michael Craig, Craig Martin. Martin, CBERA. <laughs> Welcome, Michael. As Russell, as you well know, I never use any of those titles, include, certainly not Sir, nor any of the others. Other people do. A, a, the only place where I use the Sir is on my British Airways card. Someone else told me that, who's a dame. She said she <laughs> loves being called like dame <laughs> only at British Airways. Only at British Airways <laughs> because there's the slight, slight, although I have to say very slight possibility that you might get upgraded. That's but hilarious. But other, other than that, I can't see any reason why that, uh, I just feel embarrassed using it. I think that's sir. reason enough to become a sir. So up- <laughs> I get upgraded on your flights everywhere. <laughs> no, if that was true, I would tell you, but it's not, unfortunately, oh. it's rare, very, very. The first question we wanted to ask you was, what is your favourite colour? Because we thought it was like such a simple beginning. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't have known how to answer that, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, but it clearly has to be magenta. Oh, Ooh. sassy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Magenta. Well, it's the polite way of saying pink. Yeah, but uh, kind of, Magenta's kind of purple deep, shade, deep. isn't it? Well, it's somewhere. It's between. It's redder than purple, right? And it's like a deep pink. Pink is a is a basically a pastel color, and that's magenta is not. It's a. It's more full bodied than that. Ooh. I use a, a very basic palette, which is only there's only about ten or twelve colors actually, and everything else is just a variation. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I, that's the palette that I use, and I try to use everything at the maximum pitch, mm-hmm. the highest mm. intensity that I can get. And I discovered from use that magenta, magenta is a very artificial color. It was only invented, this is so amazing, it was only invented in the 19th century really? as, a, as a color. Yeah, it didn't exist exactly as it really? is now. That's so cool. It's so weird to think yeah. that a color could be what invented. Is, what is the combination then that would have made I, that? I don't know exactly how right, it was right, chemically right. done. They had some things that were kind of equivalent but they weren't exactly the same before that. And would that and, be your go, like your go-to? So, say you're making a work of art, would your default be like, "I'm going to go for the magenta," and you have to stop yourself? Or yes, because I I have a tendency to overuse it because, mm. it, and the thing is, it it has an amazing capacity to make everything near it look better. 
What other colors? Other colors. Amazing. In reference to other it colors. Has an, right. It has an extraordinary effect that no other color, you'd think it would draw a lot of attention to itself, yeah. but it doesn't. It, that's why, you know, I did the um, the summer show at the Royal Academy. That's right, you curated it. A cu- curated it. Yeah, in 2015, of, wasn't it? A couple of years ago. Yeah, I remember yeah. That, yeah. And the, print, the main room, I painted room magenta and it's a room you know in which there may be 50 60 paintings are, mm-hmm. by other yeah. people are going mm-hmm. to hang and it took a bit of nerve to actually think well i can have put all these other pictures and for pictures. them did it take them well they, they didn't they didn't know or they were very wary right. that anybody would do this mm-hmm. but i because i've used it so much i knew that it would not hurt things that it would make them actually look Pop. Great. It would make them look great. And it, nobody complained to me really? about their painting. The, hanging on a magenta hanging wall. Hanging on a magenta wall once it was there. The thought <clears> of it was all, a lot of people found off putting, but when they actually saw it, it's very hard to, because it brings a kind of clarity to mm. the other color. I don't know why. Wow. And I have never found another color that does the same thing. And why do you work at the most vibrant of a color, do you think? Why are you drawn to pitching it up to its... To the max. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I have no subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't use color at, really at all in my work for, you know, for, for... I didn't really start using it until I was in my 50s. Because your work was the line. It was, there was the line and there was a tendency the to black and white. Yeah. And, you know, when my work was considered more conceptual... Yeah. Well... In conceptual work, you're a, you're kind of allowed black and white and maybe a little red. Mm-hmm. You can have red occasionally. Mm-hmm. But that color range, anything other than that is too indulgent. Mm-hmm. And so the, uh, you get very little use of color. And I was, that was p- part of my way of thinking about things. And then something happened in the work and I, I started with painting rooms, not things, mm. colors. And when I painted the rooms, the impact, and I, I went, you know, I went to Dulux, and I, you, you can get amazing colors. In, what do you mean rooms, like as in a, a gallery space? A well, gallery space, yeah. And wall um, murals, no? I did an exhibition in, in Rome, and I used, I colored the walls, and, and it was the first time I'd ever painted the room before putting the images on them. Right. Mm. And I'd never done that before. And it was a revelation. And then the next show I had was in Paris and had a gallery in Paris. You know those those courtyards, there's a little courtyard and there's rooms all the way around the oh yes. The edge of the court the the center space. Yeah. The rooms around the outside. And there were seven rooms and all more or less the same size. And I told the gallerist I want and she had seen this the show in Rome and she loved it. And so I said I want each room to be a different color. Well oh, cool. What are you going to do? Red, yellow, blue. Mm. So that's what I did. I just used the basic color. Richard of York. And I tried to get the in vain. And I, yeah, <laughs> I just got. And I just got. I just went to Dulux. I got the best one. That what seemed to be the brightest color. So it would seem. So they would seem very identifiable. I like. It's like when I draw an object. I never draw an object that's obscure. Yes. I want you mm. to look at it and, and know exactly know what, it in, if, what it is. If, if you have to figure out, I've lost you already. Right. Well, I read that you the one object that you struggled with was the metronome. That was yeah. the one that pinged <laughs> out where people didn't know what that was. Not, not everybody kids. Seems to a lot know. of kids didn't like, understand what that no, was. No, and the, these days, of course, I've had to stop using tape cassette, the drawing of the tape cassette too, mm. because no young person has any idea what a tape cassette is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Although, I, didn't you do one recently which has the Spotify logo with I, the yes. tape cassette? Yes, I did. Like which, on which top was, of each other. Yes, because. And that, and that was about the change in, in objects over time. Yeah. And what's really amazing is with the tape cassette, which is really extraordinary to think now, it has two little wheels in it and mm. there's a bit of tape that actually passes physically yeah. from one wheel mm. to another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how mechanical the world... Prehistoric. It's, it's so prehistoric <laughs> yeah, now, now, doesn't it? It's, it's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we went to CDs... DVDs, and that's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty. You know. Um, and they try to get MP3s. They, to and take they get. Over, get but but now the fact is, you can have music without having any object at all. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I thought the Spotify symbol yes. had replaced the object. Totally. Yeah. Because there, you don't need an object. Mm-hmm. You don't. Have, you don't have to buy anything. You know. You, you, the thing. All the. It's the, a logo. The whole thing. Yeah. The yep. thing exists in the world of the logo. Yeah. True. And that's a very big change in. Well, it's the nature of things. Yeah. yeah. Big change. So you're going from two little wheels turning in a yeah. 
plastic. To a logo. Box to a logo. It's like Prince, and that, isn't it? Yeah. And it just turned into a symbol. It just turned into a symbol. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you, rec- and you, see, you recognize the symbol the way you would have recognized the object. Exactly. So go back to this, the, okay, Paris, right. so the Paris exhibition. Oh, yes. So these, I painted the rooms. Yes. I painted the rooms, and then I, I painted images of two objects in each room. So these were so, wall wall works, the, or well, they were. The, the, I just painted the. I, I painted one room entirely red, then yeah. one room, and you went from and the one objects color on top, room. I mean, and then the paint. The objects were painted on top of the wall with the and tape. And I did paint. I drew them with tape, and yeah. then I paint filled them in. Yeah. And I was timid with the color in the objects, so I painted them in kind of semi naturalistic colors. Yeah. But the rooms were very vivid. Yeah. Wow. And it was a transformative experience for me because people came and were overwhelmed by what they saw. You could see it. People were smiling. People were mm. engaging with mm. the work in a way that I'd never experienced. Well, is Amazing. it, is it the, the Rothko feel? Like when you're in, in front of or engulfed with colour, it's, it's it can affect you. It's engulfing. Yeah. And, there's, and I never understood what it meant about the relationship between emotion and colour. Yes. And I, people would come, you know, grown-up people or little kids would yeah. come, and their faces would light up mm. in certain rooms because of the colour. Mm. Isn't that amazing? And you didn't, I didn't have to do anything. You know, the mm. colour just it's did. The experience. Just, just the, the experience mm. and the excitement of going from a yellow room to a magenta, magenta room to a blue room. What was your darkest colour? The darkest colour was probably, there was a darkish blue. What was that like, the feeling in that, there? That, that was the most sombre. Yes. It was the least electric of the funny? rooms. It's yeah. interesting. Oh. And that was one of the reasons why I got interested in the intensity yeah. because the co- the rooms that had the biggest impact were the ones where you... Yeah, you really like, physically you, feel you were, it. But you take and, it for granted. And you did have a you? physical... That was interesting. See, it was, it was physical partly, reaction. It was a kind of physical... Yes, uh, whatever you called that, a kind of... Um, it's like it's osmosis. Yeah, some, something, yeah, yes, something really... You into yourself. Re, you really take it into yourself. Yeah. And that yeah. was really... Um, you know, frankly, ever since that time, I've never, I hardly do anything that doesn't involve this color. I mean, wow. eventually I transferred that kind of color into the objects themselves, yep. which I didn't do initially. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I only did these big installations where there were rooms with objects in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I thought, I wanted a way of, of being able to do this in the studio. I wanted to be a, w- a way of, of, of being able to spend more time with something that I made. Mm. And so I started to f- try to figure out how to transfer what I was doing in the rooms mm-hmm. into paintings mm-hmm. that would become discrete objects. Well, you, through so the, the color, paintings came out of the installations. Right. Well, you do take for granted how in art colour affects you. I mean, one of your massive influences is Joseph Albers. And you talk about him a lot in your book that yes. me and Rob have been reading. Yeah, uh, it's called um, uh, On Being an Artist. And it's um, just an incredible yeah. book. I'm in love with this book so yes. much, I can't tell you. It's like one I've only recently can, discovered it. And you can I don't just know pick how it up and I didn't have it before. I just love it because it's, yeah. it's basically like your paintings are. It's, it's, it's totally you, which is obviously, I know you wrote it, but it's like the actual approach to the book because it's like almost like very short chapters yeah. and they're <clears> comments <throat> on different things, like on your first public commission, on, you know, but I wrote the, the book. The book uh, I, I wanted the book to be a book that I could bear to read myself. Right. And I find I don't know whether it's my age or whether it's a change in the climate of the times and the way we all use computers and everything. I find it very, very difficult to sustain mm-hmm. an entire book anymore. Mm-hmm. I start books and I get part way through, and then I. Glaze over. Then I kind of, yeah, I glaze over and I never finish it. Do you know what? I'm exactly the same. And I don't know if it's part of this whole way we're living now. I think it must be. It must be because I find it really hard to read. And I I look back and I think, my God, I read all those books. And I used to get interested in an author. I'd read everything the author wrote. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing that now. Yeah. And. So I wrote the book with the, so there are bite size. Everything is in a bite size chapter, yeah. and there's something like uh, I don't know 150 chapters. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. And so, but the, also the idea was that there's a kind of basic chronology. Yes, mm-hmm. more or less. You could read the book from beginning to end if you want to, yeah. or you could just open it any page. There's no pressure. You can dip in and out. You can you dip can in and out, and, out and you and get a com- bit each, of each, each paragraph, each yeah. chapter is a, is a thought in itself. Yeah. And for me, it was a bit like I used to read poetry a lot when I was growing up, and it was a bit. It reminds me of that. That's the kind of experience I have, where you go in and you might read one or two poems. Do you know what it is for me? It's like Andy Warhol's diaries. It's like I can't uh, read them cover to cover, but I will flick through, and then you'll read something, just, and it's there uh, by the bed. Uh, uh, and uh, yes, uh, yes, you're, he doesn't. He's not interested. No, he doesn't want you to read one. No, he doesn't want you to do that. There are people who've 
who interested me a great deal about the way they wrote. And one of them was John Cage, mm-hmm. who's writing in, you know, the book uh, called Silence is a fabulous book if you yeah. haven't read it. It's absolutely amazing. And he did this wonderful thing of mixing different kinds of writing. Mm-hmm. So there's little short bits and then there's longer bits mm-hmm. and there's, there's bits that are very funny and mm-hmm. bits that are very serious. And I really liked, mm-hmm. I liked that. And I like things like the way Beckett writes, mm-hmm. um, which again is it's very it's very precise. You can take bits out of Beckett and just read them. There's so it's reduced. To they're what, just reduced. It's what, so pared down. Yes, yes, yes. And that, of course, that's what interests me. Yeah. One of the things I loved was when you speak about um, talking about art and how you should speak about art and how you can get very lost with um, flowery, over-the-top press releases about a contemporary art when actually it's about being direct and about having the right words to describe things. And it doesn't need to have like 10 pages of description. It could mm-hmm. be like a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And because that's actually, in a way, the hardest thing, you know, to do. But I feel like that's what this book has succeeded in. And also your work succeeds in Mm -hmm. because it's that directness. And that's what I've always loved about your work. The thing that I felt, you know, really from the time I was a student was that a lot of what was said to me, I didn't understand it. I hear these words and it sounds great. But first of all, I don't really understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And second of all, how can I use it? Yeah. Is it practical? And what I, one of the things I loved about Albers that I learned from Albers was Albers' idea was there was no need to study color theory if you were an artist. Studying color wheels and all that stuff, he considered it an absolute waste of time because it didn't actually help you when it went to using color. Mm-hmm. To use color, you needed the practice of using color. Mm-hmm. And you needed to learn certain things through the practice of doing it. Mm-hmm. Of actually and making. The, of yeah. actual making, yeah. rather than having a theoretical construct that you would bring to the experience. Because the, the theoretical construct, when you came to, it's absolutely fine theoretically, but when you came to make your picture, it was useless. Yeah. And I so, actually had a conversation with Rebecca Warren about this last week, about this idea that like you can make a sculpture... And that's enough somehow. Like, you know, in making it, the ideas are going to inherently be within that work. But, and what I realized was that a lot of people don't seem to understand that the work of art is itself the expression. It is the thought is in the work. Mm. Mm. It isn't in the conversation about the work. It isn't mm. about, it, there isn't the work and then I tell you about it and the thing I tell you about it mm. is more important than the thing itself. The thing itself is the word yes it's because it's the artist's hand it's the artist's hand it's because whatever you whatever your life is taking you up to that point you've created that piece of art whatever that is at that point because that's where your journey's taken and i feel very strong it's because it's in the book that essentially the most important aspect of oneself as an individual is the part you can't help Mm. The part that over which you have no control, yeah. that you are who you are, yeah. and you try even if you try to hide this, even if you try to manipulate it, it doesn't work yeah. because the actual you is coming surf- out through. Surf- yeah. it, all, it will always surface. I think if you're anybody creative, that is, it, you have to draw in That's yourself, the, and as soon as you try and hide from yourself, then yeah. the work it's, is not going to be true. It's never going to yeah. work. You know that. As, uh, anybody creative knows, yeah. will n- truly creative understands that. and that's. But that's a very important thing for everybody to understand. Can I go personal on you okay. now then with that? So, <laughs> okay. so with that in mind, mm, yes. before you really accepted your own sexuality, yes. do you feel like the work you was creating before differed like massively after you accepted your own what did it change did it change what do you do you, like saying that when you was your true self to yourself do you feel like your work altered at all i know you say that you do talk about your work and you don't feel like it has the art you don't want people to see the artist but in yourself can you could you have seen a difference well it, it, i mean it's a it's a funny question i don't quite know that i can give you a straightforward answer all, right. all i can t- say to you is that the work of mine, the oak tree, which is really the kind of, is a pivotal point Seminole. in my work. Yes. Mm. It, but it's very important for me because there's the work before that. Yes. And then there's the work after that. Mm. And that occurred virtually at the time that I, I was married and I was separated from my wife. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, 
it's I look back at it, it's interesting. Um I was I immediately wanted to tell everybody that I was gay. Yeah. Mm. Everybody around me. I even told my students, you know, I was have a tutorial with somebody, I say, you know, I just want to let you know. <laughs> I don't know what they thought. Yeah. Well, basically, and what was really interesting, which I think m- most gay people f- discover this to their surprise, is that when you come out, it's not as traumatic as you have imagined oh, it's God, going no. to be. Exactly, no, yeah. no. And that people are amazing. People are frankly... Don't care. Indifferent. They're like, actually indifferent. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? It's quite self-indulgent how much you think people <laughs> are going to be affected by affected. you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, nobody knows what to say. You know, what are you going to say about it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and people really don't care. And the thing that struck me was I told, I told, the, it was interesting, I told the people I worked with and several of them came out to me, which did surprise me. In the same, at the same conversation? At the same conversation. The same conversation. Wow. wow. Who had never, who I, and I had never even thought about before. But... With the students, it was. Uh, could we get on with it? Could we talk about my work now? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know it was like so. Not un- about you. It was so so uninteresting. Yeah, and I think I'm going. I'm going through this traumatic moment of yeah. revelation. Yeah, and they're thinking, mm, can we, can we, can we talk, yes. yeah, can we talk so about my painting? So do you think I should go with magenta or yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. Funny. And, But it took me a long time. I would say it took me about five, ten years to really come to terms with things in yes. my work. Got yeah. It. And that's the beginning then of the drawings, and then the drawings lead me to the – and then the color, you see. But the color comes quite a bit after. I've been doing the drawings for a long time before mm-hmm. the color enters in. And, that, and I feel like what I've ended up with – the, the oak tree, which is very particular, we're going to talk about. Rob, Rob's going to talk about the oak tree. Yes. Well, the thing is, it's very, it's 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 very critical thing to me, yeah. right? But it also, it's not a body of work. It's a work. Mm. The body of work of what I've done. If I think of what I've done that I see as important, is the work of the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which is the drawings and the paintings, the the things using the the images and the color. Those mm. to me, that's the body of work, which is defining de- defining. Yeah. Okay, now there's other things I did previous mm. to that, mm. especially the oak tree, but other things well, which the, I'm very pleased about. But they don't constitute the same. Right, they're they're interesting asides, and I think lots of artists do things which yes. are kind of interesting. Asides. And I I always found when I first knew and saw the oak tree, it was very much like a springboard for me or something. It was like a kind of it's almost like the it sums up so much about We should faith. talk about what the oak tree is, because oh, yeah. in people's minds now, if they don't know Mark Craig Martin's exactly. work and what the oak tree is, you're imagining an oak tree. Yeah. But what you're actually seeing is a glass shelf that's high up on the wall with a glass of water yeah. in it, which Michael Craig Martin has decided is an oak tree. And, and next to it is a text on the wall yeah. in red. In red. Which is yes. the colour you said you were allowed to use yes, yes, in yes. conceptual art. Exactly. Very good. You cut that right. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, it was and, permissible. And there's a conversation in this text, question and answer. Yes. The text was very carefully written, and it's but it's it's in the form of an inter, of an interview, like mm-hmm. a dialogue, mm-hmm. and it's between, say, the artist and the viewer, but it's also between a believer and a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I believe it, but. I don't know. And yeah. a critic, yeah. isn't it? It's so a critic it's a, cri- artist, it's yeah. a critic in the art. And it was, it was, in a sense, me trying to anticipate every criticism yes. that could be made of the work yes. and putting it into the work. Yes. So the work contains both its own assertion mm-hmm. and its own denial. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. So it's, it sums up a lot, which is, you know, really what I wanted to do. And I, it proved a problematic work for me because it was so absolute – that it either was an opening to me to do anything I wanted, or it was a Limited like a trap. It was such a yeah. trap, and everything I tried, I tried to find other oak trees. Yeah. Well, they were always much less than the than that. Yeah. The, the, I could never. You can only hit that thing occasionally. Yeah. And I got. I was lucky, and I you got struck one. gold with that one. I struck so that gold. was a game changer. It was. A, it was, and it was. But it. But it did undermine in a certain sense what I had been doing Got because it. I couldn't imagine how I could do this again. Mm. And my career is a I have to say, I have never found a single thing that does mm. such an absolute thing. It's, well it's very kind of off center from what you're saying you want you are defined by, which is your your yeah, drawings and your painting. Mm. Yeah. 
But 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 the but the thinking in it Mm. is exactly the same. Exactly the same, and that's the thing. It's like this. It's like this summation of of ideas about what contemporary art is and what art is and what your because for me I got into contemporary art because it was like a soul thing or something and for me it's it's almost like it was not religious because it's not religious but it's almost like if you believed in something I believe in art to the core of me and creativity and that that work sums it all up because it's like this idea of belief and faith and I have faith in artists I'm the most happy when I'm with artists and with creativity and that's why that work when I first learned about it maybe 20 years ago or something I found it so kind of important because it was just like the summation of things but it's like the start point in a way for me and then that's in a way what it was for you because it was exactly the same for me it was exactly the same for me and And it was like this work was made in 1973 so it's like you know an early work for you in a way and it's I just think it's it's still just as important now oh, God, yeah. for people to learn about, you know, as it as it was then. Well, the, the thing that I realized about because it was a time when a lot of people were thinking about what is the essence of art. Yeah, that was a big question for artists in the, well, minimalism in the late sixties. Minimalism, so minimalism, minimalism was the late sixties. That yeah. was very, and then that minimalism kind of bled into conceptualism, early yeah. conceptualism, and a lot of the thinking was. You know, what do you need for a work of art? What is essential? And that, that was the the context in which I was thinking. And I suddenly realized that if you didn't believe in something, it doesn't work. Mm. You have to give yourself yeah. to it yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. To, a, you know, a poem, you can read a poem and it's dead. You have to allow it to be a poem. Exactly. And if you enter it in that spirit... Then it can, it may not, but it at least it can. But if you don't do that, it, it's never going to work. And yeah. you you have to allow a work of art to be a work, to be of, a art. work of art. Mm. And that's really an act of faith. In I mean, it's something which is very close to the kind of thing that one has in religious faith. But as you say, it's not religion, but it is to do with a letting go of the kind of of some kind of feeling about their constraints that you can't that the thing has to live up to or something like that. Mm. People, yeah. people who are unhappy with the arts are usually people who are asking a question of it it, it can't answer. Got it. It's not supposed to answer. It's not failing to answer. It's the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want too much. They want too much. Yeah, yeah. They want too much from it. Yeah. And the thing that's useful about art is that it answers the questions other things don't. Mm. Totally. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 separateness from other things. It's By just difference. being, yeah. That makes it useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that oak tree is part of the Tate collection, which was well. Actually, to be honest, the, the original this is it was more extraordinary. It was uh, I, had, I had a little touring exhibition in Australia yes, in, the, in the um, uh, we were going to bring this in up about seventy six. Great story. Is, yeah, we'll, we'll get to this. And there was about 12, 15 works of art of mine, and they've traveled to five different cities in Australia, and only one was sold, and to my amazement, it was the oak tree. And I had made it double the price of anything I had ever done because I just assumed nobody would ever want it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who would buy a glass of water? So it did actually get sold, but it did get sold to the National Gallery of Australia. But there was a problem getting into the country because this is a glass of water, but it had been labelled as an oak oak tree. tree. So it was caught up at customs. And when you got there, you was like, what's the problem? And they said, it's an oak tree, no vegetation. And you had to stand there and go, well, actually, it's uh, it's it's a glass of water. water." (laughs) Which completely defined everything that you were... But uh, that's amazing. (laughs) But I saw it at the Tate, modern. Yes. So I have an artist copy, which I have, which is on permanent. Loan to to the tape. Is it when will it be shown again? Do you do they let you know? With oh this? no, I never know. It comes and goes. Right, it comes and goes. But I mean, the object that it was interesting because I first showed it in London, in my gallery in London at the time, the Rowan Gallery. I went to the director and I said, "Look, I want to show this thing, and it's very important. There can't be anything else in the gallery. Huh. That's it." And and in the, originally the text was a pamphlet. It was on the table at the yeah, store. You that. could take away. You yeah. could take away. The idea was there would be nothing. You know, wow. it was, mm. And 
90% of the people who came to the gallery opened the door, looked in, thought, nothing here, no and show, out. and left. <laughs> I mean, I think hardly anybody actually saw it as an exhibition. Wow. And I have a photograph of the opening, and there's like 15 people standing around the desk where they have a bottle of cheap wine. That was how many people used to That's come so to amazing. things in those days. I'm a very uh, visual person. I only think of myself as a visual person. Mm. I think if I have any real capacities. They're essentially visual. And the only thing that upset me about the Audrey was that I needed the text. Mm. And if I could have done it without the text, I would mm. have done it without the text. But I realized I needed the text uh, to be able to make it clear what I was doing. Mm. And that's why I thought the format of the question answer was was useful. Mm -hmm. But I, I knew that I couldn't just say, call it an oak tree. Because then you're, all you're doing is changing the name. Mm. And I was trying to describe something much more fundamental that yeah. it, isn't, it, it doesn't even matter if you call it an oak tree. It actually is one. Mm. It isn't a symbol for an oak tree or anything. It actually has is one. one. Has, yeah. It actually is one. Even it, despite all the evidence of your own eyes, you're yeah. wrong. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So when, when, when we now think of your work, like the first thing I would think of if you said the word Michael Craig Martin to me is going to be colour, like bright colours. Mm. But funnily enough, for me, um, two of the most powerful moments I've had in relation to looking at your work, one was in Margate, because obviously you probably know Carl and I are yes. opening the gallery in Margate. We're moving there. I've bought a house there. It's our kind of new location Ooh. where we're going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Um, but I didn't realise... We don't realize need to know about your house. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 which is a museum, it has free exhibitions, you can go there and, and see great shows. I walked in and I, I actually was, I stopped in my tracks because there was this book on the wall in neon and slowly the pages of the book turn. And I didn't even know it was you immediately. I was just like, what is that work? Like, I loved it. Mm. And there was actually, yes, there's light in it, but it's, a, it's white it's an animation. neon. It's an animation, effectively, yeah. And it, it isn't full of bright colours or anything, but it was the work that literally stopped me in my tracks. And I love the story behind it, which I've only just found out, to do with Margate as well, which I didn't realise. But how did that work come about with the but, book? Because it's so meaningful to me, that work. The, the work that's there is the second version of it. Yeah. The first version was, I won a competition, which was run, I think, by the Arts Council and the local council, and it must have been mid-70s, say 75, something like that. And it was the first time I ever did a public work. It was the first time I'd ever been had the possibility of a commission, and I couldn't believe when I won the competition. It was for the new public library being opened in Margate. Wow. This was your and design, that was a design you put in for... I, I, I said, uh, yeah, th and they they asked for a submission, and I asked, I think they asked a number of artists, maybe six artists, and yeah. I, and I thought, you know, Margate, and they're going to want an anchor or something like that. Yes, and, exactly, and like a sea theme. So I, you know, I, but there's no possibility this is going. And I won. I couldn't believe it. And so the building was made of red brick, and there was the entrance to the library. You went up some steps, and there was the glass doors of the entrance to the library, and there was a brick wall, plain mm -hmm. brick wall above the door. So I thought the book was just a perfect image for, and it's something welcoming about a turning page. Yeah, as it was a symbol for the library. Mm -hmm. That was a, it. Was the open, you know, it was the, the a greeting for the library. It was mm -hmm. meant to be like, um, well, like. Si uh, because a lot of the things I do, if so they have an aspect of signage about them because yes. they're so specific. Mm. Yes. And I just thought that was, and also there was something very nice about the turning pages because they were a bit like sails. 
Oh, totally, uh, yeah. You know, if you think of the shape of them, they're very like well, snails. What I like about that work is the, the line on the edge of the book is obviously quite hard line. Yes. And that's also something I associate with you, is these kind of edges or, you know, hard lines yes. somehow. But then the softness of the books, because it's almost like more fluid. There's another work you did, which is um, fries, you know, like almost like um, takeaway food, oh, fast yes. food, fries, where the fries themselves are kind of softer somehow, but, you know, than... <laughs> the, than, than packaging. Exactly. <laughs> but but I, I love that combination of the two, like, juxtaposed together. Well, there's something else nice about uh, about um, neon things, which is this, there's all the wires and everything. like. And I really liked all of the... Mm. I did, I did, a, I had done a whole series of works using white neon drawings in the early, in the mid 70s which is where this thing mm. it, i think coincided with that right. period and that's why i did neon but then what happened was the the work was commissioned by margate as i remember it was to it was to commemorate a librarian who had been there for like 30 or 40 years mm. and much loved figure and he retired mm. oh. well by the time the thing got on the wall the people who had commissioned it had been turfed out of office because it was a change of party or something. Oh like no that. way! And nobody wanted it. Nobody liked it. Nobody understood what it. No, there was no interest in all it the, wasn't the history. The history was gone because yeah. all the people who had made <laughs> it happen were all gone, and so they never turned it on. No I'm way! I'm not sure it was ever. I'm not sure it ever worked. Did the librarian oh. see it? I not. I have no idea. Oh my god! I have no idea what happened to it. But isn't there but like then, one of Margate's most? Was that what you were going to say? But, but it was really yeah. funny. Is then they tore down the library. No uh, way. Yes. The whole building. So the building is gone. So this this building that was new is now already gone. Mm. And of course, the artwork went. This piece of neon that was meaningless, kind of neon that never comes on, was. was <laughs> Luckily, that there are photographs was, of it though yeah. um, there are from the time, and it was turned on once at least because like, in the photo and, it looks like Tracy, it's working. Tracy has told me that she saw it. Tracy Emin, yeah, yeah, Tracy Emin, who you know, who is Margate, really, yeah, and, yeah, and she she says she remembers it. Oh, that's nice. But then, what which was is really, amazing because she works in neon. So oh yeah, maybe yes, like, would have like yeah, had some kind neon. of subconscious. Yeah, you're like, hang on, I'm yeah. you're not Tracy. Kidding. <laughs> Come on, you know, a little influence. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, Tracy always says that I that I was her favorite tutor, even though I never taught her. Oh, that's so <laughs> but, cool. But she was all of her peers' favorite tutors. So, uh. <laughs> but then it was fantastic because when they were building the Turner Contemporary, uh, the people uh, in the, doing the project yeah. learned about this thing and then asked me if I would redo it for mm. the Turner Contemporary yeah. and to put it over the desk. So great. So, so now it's returned it to its a, original home. So it's returned to its original yeah. home. I, I mean, it's such a nice... Story. Me and of Rob are going to get your edition. Yeah, because we, we Victoria Pomery told me about this edition that you've made, oh, which is made of a the book of the book. Yes. Yeah, of the book, which um is which a fundraiser. Is contemporary. And we were looking at it last night together because Russ and I had dinner last night, and we were like, actually, we need to buy that print because it's so perfect. Yeah. And it, I, I had this such a kind of. We put it you on know, our Instagram feed and then people can see exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. But we love that. We love that work. Absolutely. And I think it's a, a really great one. And then the other experience I had was, weirdly, after my father died, and I went to a bookshop and I was quite miserable. And you had a new book that had just come out, which is called Drawings. And again, like, I looked at the cover and I was like, Michael Craig Martin. But it wasn't bright colours. It was just the line. And, um, like, black and white, you know. With no, it's the, red, isn't it? Yeah, red. red oh, is it red on the cover? Conceptual. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's a conceptual front cover. Conceptual Um, red. Okay, so anyway, I saw the red line, but then when you open the book, it's literally like, it's a huge volume. I mean, it's a big book. Big book. With many different objects, everyday objects, quotidian objects, but all devoid of colour. A 300, exactly. So it's a really great thing. And you can almost, I actually flicked it at the time, you know, like a flick book, and I went through it. And suddenly I started crying because it reminded me of my dad. Because it had all these objects, like, you know, chairs, I don't know, all these different objects that just reminded me of my dad. Well, it's the mundane and the everyday, and what you you like it because it's instantly recognizable and you live around it all the whole time. You're kind of elevating it and celebrating it, but also still reducing it to what it is. When I do the drawings, I do the drawings the same way today as I did in 1978. Mm. I just draw the thing as I see it. I never draw from memory. I draw from observation. Mm. And I, I'm i not trying to make a cartoon. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to make a personal expression. I'm just trying to actually make a recording of the image through drawing, mm-hmm. just through line. And I draw everything the same, so I try to get rid of all the hierarchies of material, scale, money, 
doesn't matter. Everything's drawn exactly the same. A paper cup you get free with your coffee is the same as a grand piano. How many drawings have you got while you're saying there's 300 in that book? How many, your bank of drawings, because that's what you work from. Once you've created it, that's it, and it's in your kind of... Yeah, there, there are a few hundred more. I mean, I thought when I started that they were, you know, by this, if I, because it never occurred to me, I'd be still doing it now. <laughs> yeah, I would have dropped dead if you told me then that I would be still doing it at my age. But the fact is, I thought there'd be about 10, I'd have 10,000 by now. Mm. And that's not true because there aren't 10,000 objects. But there, it's like colors. There are a comparatively limited number of things. There's just unbelievable variations. Right. Numbers of variations. So if you, the most obvious one is the chair. Mm -hmm. The chair is the most variable of all the objects. I've drawn a lot of different chairs because mm -hmm. they're so variable and they're such in interesting things. But the reality is a chair is a chair is a chair. And once you've drawn one, you've drawn chair. Mm. And half the objects in the world are chairs. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, a book, you draw a book, that's all the, you've drawn all yeah. the books. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because there are, there isn't any significant difference between one book and another. And so, although the world seems like it's filled with things, it's they are variants. You've distilled they're, an object down to its one and, image, and, and that for and, you is and enough. I, and if you need an object that you can name, mm -hmm. there's lots of objects which are partial or need a, a more specific context in mm -hmm. order to be understood. I don't draw those things. I don't draw weird plumbing U-bends and stuff. Yeah. Well, you could. I could probably draw a U-bend. I think you're pretty, a lovely U-bend. You, know, you see, the fact you I say U-bend, you, you, <laughs> you, like, you would like that. And the thing is, the fact that you had a name for it yeah. that we could all recognize, yeah. that's a signal to me that I could, Got draw, it. That I could draw. That's Got a it. very good indication of what I feel I can draw. Well, if you so, if I see a work with a U-bend in now, you'll, you'll know <laughs> like, that's that you're responsible. Toby's influence, you know, yeah. That's really... The I, other great nice. thing about that drawing book was the idea that you've created such a distinct image. Like, you know, you, your line is so Michael Craig Martin. It's got as much personality in a way as, you know, Tracy Emin's line, you know, it's that scratchy line of, of yeah. that she has or whoever, you know, um, which is very heavy personality in a way, like within that work. But your work, even though you've almost tried to re get away from the personality, you know, because it's not, because it's the, these very like strict kind of lines in a way, but that's become so iconically well, yours. That, that is the great irony of what I've done, because when I started, I wanted to make I wanted to make drawings that were completely styleless and impersonal. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I made them, I drew them right from the very beginning. I drew them with tape, so there's no inflection, there's no indication of my hand, yeah. there's no obvious signs of individual authorship. And I thought this is the most neutral thing mm. I could possibly do. And it's turned out to be my style. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also, I, instantly recognizable. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's the absolute opposite of what I set out, set to, out do. to do. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny how, how much it's influenced culture. Like, I was looking in my kitchen the other day at uh, Ottolenghi cookbook. And on the back of it, it's got all these line drawings of uh, vegetables and fruit or whatever. And I was like, Michael Craig Martin. And then I was drying my hands in a bathroom the other day on a Dyson, you know, one of those fancy uh, air dryer, yeah. hand dryer things. And on the top of it, it has drawings, obviously promoting their Hoovers, but they're like Michael Craig Martins. And I, I see it everywhere I <laughs> yeah, go now. It's like this funny thing. That I, I think I have to say I see it, of course, too, yeah. a lot. And, and, and I also think that there's certain things that I've done with color, which, which I also see around. Yeah, around yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, that it's not surprising that what I do, a lot of designers, graphic designers and furniture designers, people who make the things mm -hmm. that I like what I do and sure, are attracted yeah. to it. It's yeah. not that's not surprising. So I can see that I have a I've had an influence in mm. their world. Yeah. Because And I can imagine in architecture as well, because you've done all those amazing uh, diptych works where you've got like a Mies van der Rohe chair and then a Mies van der Rohe building or something. I, I'm very I'm very interested in architecture yeah. too. I like you know I, I like the made world. Yes. Yeah. The made world. And yeah. buildings are really big objects. You know they're and, you know, I've drawn things which are very, very ordinary, you know, light bulbs and paper cups where you don't know who designed them. They're kind of everywhere and they're yes. ubiquitous. And nobody, yes. who, what is the history of this object? And then there's other things that are very specific to a particular 
designer design pieces yeah. a design yeah. like the a chair chair the barcelona yeah. chair perfect yeah absolutely precise and instantly recognizable as as that individual person's so i don't make a distinction between those things i treat them all the same way mm. right and i i'm not particularly interested in kitsch but some objects are kitsch and some objects are not mm-hmm. i'm not interested in consumerism as there are lots of people interested in consumerism as a construct. I'm not. I'm not interested in. Well, through colour as well, you don't conform to the identity of a piece. You always play with the colours. What what the you assume the, would be the colour of the piece, you you juxtapose I, that. I, the thing is, I what I what I discovered with the colour was, I restrict myself totally when I'm doing the drawings to the to the object. Mm. When it comes to the colour, mm. it's exactly the opposite. Mm. I take every freedom I want. We should segue on to something which you're very well known for now, which I'm interested in. Well, you're as a teacher. Basically, a lot of people have made you the master teacher, the uh, <laughs> the legend, that the inspiration for so many of our artists that are working today. Uh, you were there at the forefront in their formative kind of decisions and choices, and you were critiquing them and assisting them and you know making them who they are now. How do you feel about being given this? Mantle. Well, of course, it's it's extremely flattering to think uh, that you know people think like that about my time teaching. I mean, when you're teaching, one has to say, if you're teaching in art school, the one thing you would like or that I I wanted was I saw it as a kind of mission that I just assumed they wanted what I wanted, and to a certain extent, I had in those days much more of it than they did because they were just students. What is it you want? What was it? You I wanted, wanted to be an artist. I wanted yeah. to be an artist in the world. I wanted to be able to have a life as an artist. Mm-hmm. And I assumed that all my students, that's what they wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that my job was to help them facilitate that. F- facilitate that and dream. see that as an see, option. Is that, is that, that that could be a realistic possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, it's not it's not a realistic possibility for a lot of people. And a lot of people go to art school, of course, don't become artists or become artists in, uh, in di- at different levels, yeah. different in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, but it, to me, it's entirely irrelevant in the end whether somebody does become an artist because I think art education is a form of education that enables people to, to be release. highly adaptable, mm. to be mm. very creative no matter what they do, mm-hmm. because it's based in self-knowledge. Yeah. And as you know, self-knowledge is the key, really, yeah. to everything. Well, it's exploration of the soul, which is a Tracy Mintage. Sorry <laughs> to drop that in, but it, that's exactly what it is. And yeah. that's what's terrifying in today's day and age when they're going to strip school education of art, of drama, this, of that ability as a human to express yourself mm. from your core. If you if you go to the, the, all the, the kind of the most conservative uh, educational theorists, what they talk about is we want people to be uh, flexible, uh, ability, you know, adaptable to changing circumstances, independent-minded. All Every single thing mm-hmm. that is described as the aim of contemporary education mm-hmm is in art education. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's primary in art education. Mm-hmm. And yet, that's the form of education that they're getting rid of. Yeah. They want to limit. cut. They want to yeah. cut. Yeah. Anything with any depth that's spiritual, and, anything surface, and, keep and, it. And, anything and, with anything, depth. Anything that, that allows the spirit to find to, yeah. its desire. Yeah. Mm. It, because there's a thing, I mean, to be honest, there's a, there's a kind of thing in education anyway, which is that if something isn't really crushingly difficult it's not worth doing mm-hmm. and the the reality is in life you cannot build a life on doing something you hate mm. you you do that and you're going to have a miserable life yeah exactly if you can find a way of living that's based in something that you love that you really wish to do that this is the happiest thing these are the happiest people, people. in the world true and I put my hand and, in the air on that. I'm one. putting my hand up. Yeah, too. yeah I mean, there you are. You see, we both but it's our... but it's obvious in the conversation. You see that 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 we're all people who live in this with this in this way. Mm. But the terrible thing is, in our society, this is quite a privileged position. Totally, yeah. Mm. But there's absolutely no reason why that isn't possible, Accessible for, for everybody. everybody. And you don't have to be an artist to to no, to I agree have completely. that that thing. But the tr- the problem is that so few people have 
access to something which allows them to actually consider what do I really want. And people often resist the thing that they love or that they're very good at. Mm. It's amazing. People resist what they're good at. This is the strangest thing of all because people who are good at something often un, because they find when they when you say they're good at it it means they find it comparatively easy mm. the fact they find it easy devalues it for mm. them mm-hmm. totally yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous if you're not working hard at if something then, then it doesn't not, it can't possibly it can't be worth possibly it. Be, if it yeah. comes easily it can't be valuable no. yeah and very often people think i can do this thing quite easily so I should do something else. Every, but everybody else must be able to, to do yes, it easily exactly. too. Yeah. When in fact, what they're able to do easily may be really quite unusually yes. difficult for everybody yeah. else. Yes. Yeah. But they don't recognize that. This is the most tragic thing in education. Which you know, is in a way why teaching is so important. And I think it's probably like one of the most important things in like life is to have great teachers. You know, yes, doctors not as well, of course. But like I, I was saying to Russell last night, like if I think back to some of the teachers that helped me, there was one particularly when I was growing up. I mean, changed my life. It, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm. And I think I think that's... many of us have, must have teachers that uh, who play this role. Mm. Uh, you know, somebody who just lights something up in you. Mm. Some, yeah. And and you don't know, you know, as a teacher, you don't know who that is. You don't know when it happens. Yeah. Mm. I have people come to me and tell me something that I said to them 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> and and I, of course, I don't have the vaguest memory at all of what, what, what I said. you said. Yeah. But they have lived with this memory oh, wow, for man. 30 or 40 years. This yeah. is a key thing that's yeah. fantastic and i you know to me i was trying to say what i was good what i was saying can i read a chapter out of your book this is something about you which is very very short but something which is out of the whole book has completely struck me and it's called on being fair do you know what i'm talking about no, i don't know i don't okay. remember halfway through my first year teaching at caution i was called in by rosemary ellis my head of department for a chat I had a group of students i saw two days a week and another tutor jason saw them on two other days Rosemary said that the students had told her that I was a better teacher and they much preferred my classes. It just isn't fair on Jason, she complained, requesting that I moderate my teaching. Needless to say, this came as a shock. Absolutely nothing in my American education had prepared me for such a request. As I had no idea how to carry it out, I simply ignored it. (laughs) I just think that is, for me, I was like, what sort of world are we in that Rosemary Ellis would sit you down and be like, you're a fantastic teacher, Teacher. be less fantastic. (laughs) Be less fantastic. Because I'm feeling bad on the other teacher who's not as good as you. So be as shit as him, please. I hate to to say it, but I mean... Is that her real name, by the way? Yes. I, I mean, and that, you know, that is from the very beginning when I was first in Britain in the 60s and um but there is an aspect of that thinking that runs through british culture which is a kind of underdogism whereas if somebody is doing well at something mm. it's, they are already getting too much attention mm. it's you know don't you don't need to help them you don't need to support them mm. because they're doing they're actually doing too well. Yeah, like what do, we do have little to do. Less, what we have to do is to help the other one who isn't really as good as that mm-hmm. one. And you support, and the, yeah, yeah. It's a very strange. It's the antithesis like, of the American. It's, the American it's dream is so, we want you up there, stay up there, let's keep you up there, let's keep you up. Whereas yeah. England's like we want you up there, you're up there, get, get off, no, get off, get <laughs> off the pedestal. You've got to make room for someone else yeah, who exactly, isn't as good as you, exactly, please. Exactly. If you're too good, then that means that the next person's not going to be able to shine exactly. as much. Yeah. And Americans love people to be on pedestals. Yes. And and um, Americans, I mean, there, there are there are good and bad aspects of this, of course. Americans like to stand right next to somebody who's very successful. Of yeah, yeah, in yeah. case, because it's going to rub it's, like, it's, it's like it's like you're going to catch the success yeah, germ, yeah, yeah. germ. But my uh, aim in teaching was to give as many people as possible confidence in themselves, confidence mm. in what they were doing, and that is the that is so much a key thing. Well, so that must have happened to you that there were there were things that happened that gave you confidence in what you were doing quite young. There were, there were challenges, but there must have been things. Well, what, what, what it is for me is that y- 
you, you're bearing your soul, you're going out there doing it, and it's someone tapping you on the back and going, I'm really liking what you're doing, keep going. That's what it is. That's, that's where the confidence comes from, is that because yes. you, you, you're, you're going out there and you're expressing yourself and someone lets you know that your expression of yourself is, is something that other people want to enjoy. Yeah. So to keep doing it. And that's the, that's the most kind of confidence-building thing you can do as a kid, as myself, as, a, as in my formative years, yeah. is for someone to just hold my hand and go, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep doing that, keep doing yeah. that. Yeah. Which, you know, which you, you might not get, if you don't get that outlet, if you don't know that you've got that ex- place to explore, then how are you going to have someone hold your hand and go, right, go down that path? That's, yeah. it, that's that, yeah. You can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, ama- it's amazing the impact of it. It keeps one going. It keeps one... Oh, totally. It's fuel. Do you know what? For me, when I, I used to make pop music for about 15 years and then I stopped when I was 29, but I was adamant I wanted to become a gallerist. And it felt like the one place I felt like I belonged was the art world. And I really wanted that to be able to promote art and make it make sense for people because I kept coming up to people who'd be like, contemporary art, what does that mean? What is that? Mm. What a waste of time. All that. And it meant so much to me that I wanted to be the person that could be in between the artwork and the, yeah. you know, the, mm-hmm. the world or whatever. And Maureen Paley was a really big influence on me and she was one of the people that really encouraged me to almost have this big change in career. Yeah. And then also Neil Tennant from Pet Shop Boys. I remember him saying to me that, I was 29 and he said, like, you should just do this because if you believe in art Mm. that much, you need to do it because you will, this decision you make now at 29, I think when he started Pet Shop Boys, it was the same age. Mm. And he said, the decisions you make now will be like really important for you. You You just need to, mm -hmm. and to hear it from those people was like, I'm going to do that, Mm. you know. You needed to arrange and bring order to this world that you were inspiring for other people. Yes. You needed to articulate it for the people that were struggling to understand it. Yeah, yeah. You certainly felt like you had a responsibility. It felt like a mission. Yeah. I just, I loved it so much, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it is is really important to have people who mentor you or support you in, Mm. in the way you want to but help. but also I, I think there's something also very important in what you're saying which is that it's never too late to do something agreed you know i mean i was as i said i was in my 50s when i introduced color into my work the work that you know me for you think my it goes back my whole career doesn't yeah it's, you know it's you know it's 25 years out of you know 60 yeah mm. and Things can change very, very, very dramatically yeah. in one's life at any stage in one's life. If one, but one has to kind of it, a lot of a lot of life has to do with grasping opportunities, and the difference between different people is some people grasp the opportunity that comes to them, and other people let the opportunity slip mm-hmm. out, slip by. You know when when the YBAs were first gaining success which they did so early mm. some they were terribly young and none of them you know have uh, ma ever went to an ma course they're all they all only have ba degrees mm. and you know some of them are in their early, very early 20s and they're starting to have international recognition mm-hmm. and i had an, uh, many people in the art world say to me that it was terrible because uh, they were too young to have this was very dangerous for them because they was they were too young, mm. and I said, "Well, you know, you're I'm sure you're right, but the fact is the door has opened yeah. for yeah. them. Yeah. It's a tangible and thing. And I would say, on, go yeah. through the door. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> if you say, well, wait a second, I come back in three years, yeah, and then I'll go through the yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, the door won't be open in yeah, three years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The door is open for the moment that it's open, exactly. yeah. and you have to go through it. Yeah. And if you don't. Who knows? It's not going to happen again. Yeah. And when the opportunity comes, you have to take it. Yeah. And that was a big door. There was and a lot of them jumped through that. The, 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 yeah, yeah, I know. It was wide open. That was and a for those listening yeah. who don't know who the YBAs are, it's people like Damien Hirst, Gary Hume, Sarah Lucas. It was um, Liam Gillick. It was that kind of... They were the artists you were teaching. Matt Collishaw. Abigail Lane. Abigail Lane. Yeah, Abigail Lane. Tracy, all these people. Michael Landy, yeah. Yeah, it was that Michael yeah. Landy, I love it. Gillian Waring. Gillian Waring, all this sort yeah. of generation, yeah. There was a lot of... Uh, the, the thing that was so exciting about the time was the number of people. Yeah. Mm. It was just astonishing, mm. really. And it was a real it was a real game changer. And I didn't really, feel like there was a finite amount of success either. It didn't feel like, like right, you've made it, you've made it, that's but you it. Know, a it lot, felt like there was just... I always, I always give uh, Damien a lot of credit for that expanding... Mm. Characteristic of the thing because the th- the thing that initiated the uh, the YBA success was Damien's exhibition in '88 called Freeze, which was in a building in the Docklands, mm. and there were I don't know maybe, I think there were eighteen, twenty, twenty two artists in it, and D- 
Damien was at Goldsmiths. He was a second-year student at Goldsmiths, and he organized this exhibition in the summer. And everybody in the exhibition was either at Goldsmiths or had recently left Goldsmiths. So they were the people he knew from his world. The exhibition got a great deal of attention, and then in the, over the next couple of years, he did other big, he curated other big exhibitions. Mm. In each of them, some of the people who were in Freeze, he would include. And then over that period, he'd met other people, people who went to other colleges, people mm. who... And so instead of... But, but might you might have expected to have you have this success and you immediately hunker down and you yeah, protect yeah. you protect yourself and you protect your own like and you a don't lioness you, with your you, pups, want, you yeah. want to you want to keep you you, you, yeah. you don't want to share it out you want he did the absolute opposite he expanded wow. the number of people who were engaged in the success mm. so the world kept multiplying. Right. So each time people did things, that it opened the world to another group of people. And I, I can remember having a, a, you know, a, a, a collector uh, uh, visit me and say, you know, I've just come from uh, seeing w w uh, one of those artists and they said the most amazing thing happened. It's never, it said, we've been all over the world. It never happened to us before. This art, when we we had our conversation with this person and we really liked the work and we're going to buy something, but then they said, "Do you know so and so?" And they said, "No, we never." Heard he, Listen, I got to take you there because he's really terrific. And this artist took them to see an artist they'd never heard of. Right. Well, wow. they said, "This is you know, this has just never happened." Mm. Yeah. And there was something about the atmosphere at that time mm. of sharing a community yeah. of a community yeah. sharing this yeah. this so, success. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that made the period very, very special. And you know what? I think in two thousand and eighteen, that is a really good message, you know, for everyone to be thinking about. And there's a gallerist in London who recently hosted a event for other gallerists in um, the summer, uh, like a lunch, um, and she invited like so many different gallerists of all different ages, you know, different people who work in the galleries, not, not even just like the directors of the galleries. It was very inclusive. Mm. And I remember thinking and sitting in that meal and just thinking, this is exactly what we need right now for the mm. art world. You know, mm. we all need to be together and, Absolutely. and be unified more than ever before. I, I think... So over the last decade, maybe, I feel like everything was getting more and more separate and people were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, it got dog, it's dog eat dog, isn't it? And yeah. it's got to be dog feed dog. But yeah. now it's, it's, it's got to be, be we've got to be together because otherwise, what is the point? And yeah. why did we all get into the art world? Because we felt well, we belonged to something and we had a shared belief in something. Mm. And, you know, and at the end of the day, it's about art and artists. And there's, going to, there's much more success eventually comes Agreed. from, from working together <laughs> yeah. than yeah. it does from fragmenting yes. things. And what happened with the YBAs is absolute proof of this. Exactly. The success that was generated by the group became greater and greater in engaging more and more people. And everybody rose with the... Yeah. As the, as the you know, the, the temperature went up, everybody was carried. By so nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have uh, two more questions which we're going to ask all our guests. So when it comes to free public institutions, do you have a touchstone artwork which you regularly visit? Because we read in your in your book again that you loved the idea that in British culture people would maybe go to the National Gallery every day of the week or, you know, a few days a week and go, just go to look at one work that they really loved and then they'd go to work or whatever. And it was almost like, even if you can't collect, you know, there are free institutions where you can go and can experience, experience works. And we think that's really important. And I loved that idea. And I also got asked a question the other day about what my favourite film was. And for some reason I said Thomas Crown Affair, which I didn't even really realise. Mm. And then I was thinking art heist like what work would would we all steal if yeah. we could and take it home with us and for me it's frida carlo's my birth which i think is actually in the collection of madonna so i need to get around her house and it's like hi madonna i just stole your painting but um but what's your touchstone and what's your art heist yeah please well, of course, it's so. I mean, it's very difficult. <laughs> but, I, but, but you know, you have mentioned the National Gallery, and there is a painting there which I've done versions of myself. I played with, and it's uh, Suraj Bather's. You know, ah. and I just love that painting. And uh, every time yes, you did a every time did, didn't you? I've done things. Yeah, yes. I've done. A, I've done a lot of things right. with it, and mm. um, I because it's a majestic painting of great. Of where all the the characters, the people in it, are given a very particular sense of dignity, mm. and it's ordinary people lounging on the banks of a river with factor factories in the background. They're obviously workers, 
having a lunch break, and yet they're being given the kind of presence that you expect in a history painting of Napoleon or, mm. uh, you know, of kind of grand historical figures. Mm. And it has a very curious thing, which is that everybody is looking in one direction off canvas as though there's something over there and you have no idea what it is. Somebody drowning. <laughs> yeah, they're too calm. Oh, they're too calm. calm. Somebody they don't like. Right? They're very, very, they're very, they're very still. from the factory. There's an incredible stillness in the painting and, a, and it's something about... You know, it goes back to the question of ordinary objects. There's a kind of dignity in this painting yes. which raises this ordinary scene yeah, yeah, yeah. to a kind of majestic level. Regal. A re yeah, yeah, really. What, so, and, what year was that painting? Oh, I love that. Oh, it was painted um, 18-something, and, and, and it was, and I think he was 23. Whoa, and that's uh, in the National Gallery. Yes. I and that's another that. one that's free to get into and you can... Yeah. You can just go in. And I, I have to say, I, uh, the, the National Gallery has more fantastic paintings than almost any place else on earth. Agreed, uh, yeah. But uh, I never go in there without having to look at that painting. Is there a, I go a in, go in and see other things. There can be. There sometimes is. Like, yeah. you know, and what would you steal? Would, that, would you steal that one if you could? Oh, that would be very nice to have. Lovely. Lovely. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you yeah, so thank much. Thank you so much. Well, I feel thank super you guys. It's been, right it's been very, uh, you've made me feel so comfortable. God knows what I've said. Uh, <laughs> you've been uh, very controversial. Very controversial. We've been reading from your book, Michael Craig Martin, On Being an Artist, which is published by Art forward slash books, which is available on all good reputable online booksellers and your local bookstores should order it in. Yes. And what else was we covering? Your, in the drawings book we saw in a Tate uh, bookshop yesterday, but your drawings book as well should be available online yeah. as well and you can get that ordered in. And we will be sharing images of uh, Michael's work on yeah. our Instagram at TalkArt. Yes. Yes, and can I, I just add one thing? I don't know, I'm not sure when this is going to uh, be broadcast, but I have uh, been commissioned to do the... Um, the Connaught Hotel Christmas tree. Yes! The outside, outside, outside the hotel. Perfect. And at the end of November. Oh, yes. Be. I was actually going to say to you, because you made that comment in the book about your latest work of art always feeling like it's your best <laughs> and the most important. So I actually meant to say to you what was the latest work of art. Is, and that's what it is, is the Christmas tree. Right, Christmas, so the Connaught Hotel tree. is in Mayfair and this is well, this will be it, seen it's, as a public... It's a thir it's, yes, it's a 30-foot Christmas tree outside the, outside the hotel. Awesome. Uh, on Mount Street. Perfect. And, um, and that's free to look at as well. So, well, we, well that, have you already let, done that? Let, designed let's, that? Let's, let's hope that it works. It's a, <laughs> I'm doing something that's turned out to be technologically rather difficult okay. and challenging. And of course, all I can do is say, I hope you guys can do it because I'm not capable of doing it well, myself. We should all go and check that so, out. That's I'm really excited about it. I hope it be that. worth seeing. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a privilege to spend time with you. And... Um, yeah. And your tea's gone cold. I poured you tea earlier on. So have a sip of that. Yeah. Aww. Aww. But big love. Thank, thank you. you thank you. Thank Cheers. you guys so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. 